0: you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. This morning we're going to be reading and then studying verses 42 to 47. So Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit beginning in Acts two forty-two. that they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together day by day, those who are being saved. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. We trust that as it tells us, it is living and active. And so we pray that you would make the book to live and act according to your good pleasure within our own hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you may know, uh, the theme of our Advent series is Prepare Him Room. When the King increases in us. Uh, We're we're just parroting John the Baptist there. Remember from John chapter 3, Jesus must increase. And then we're asking what happens when he does. What happens when Jesus increases with us? And our answer this morning is that we will make space for the particular kind of devotion that we see in these verses. To connect it further to Advent, I'll just say this. Christ did not come into the world to leave us devoted to the world. Or to put it another way, he didn't come into the world to leave us indifferent and apathetic about him. He came to create and animate a people who are together growing in and then showing out by their devotion to him. Uh, Zach and Caroline are going to get married here in a few days. Uh, Do pray for them. Uh, I I would venture that Zach did not come to Caroline and then pursue Caroline and then bend the knee before Caroline uh, so that she would be devoted to not Zach, right, Uh, it was that they would be devoted to one another for life as a shadow of Christ's devotion to us and of what he jealously and justly expects of us as an assembled part of his bride. If we need still more motivation here, we're given to consider uh, the effects of this devotion this morning. Uh, Do we not desire this regular manifestation in our community of a gospel-driven unity that negates need and fosters family and perpetuates praise and allures the lost? Uh, Do we not desire to see the Lord using us to save souls and add to His devoted people day by day by day? Uh, Beloved, if Jesus drew up a model for his church, wouldn't we desire to be that? And do whatever he prescribed to that end? All right, well, today that is devotion. Devotion here. So let's come to our text in the exhortation that comes from verses 42 and 43. Be devoted to the formal means of grace. Luke says, quote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And so, a couple of preliminary things here. One, we need to know who the, the they is in this text. And two, we need to wrap our minds around the idea of devotion. So, to the one, uh, we need to be made aware that Christ has now ascended into heaven at this point, And he has poured out the Holy Spirit. In his stead, that is, by the Spirit, Jesus has now come to dwell within his people and to thereby create a people who are distinctly his. And to explain the initial manifestation of this reality, Pentecost, Peter preaches what's technically the first historically Christian sermon, and through that sermon, 3,000 souls are converted. (laughs) Uh, They're brought to repentance. And to faith in Jesus, and they are then baptized, and don't miss it, verse 41, they are then added to the church. Talk about church growth. Okay? They went from 120, Acts chapter 1, to 3,120 in the course of one sermon. But so the they then, in our verse 42, is the earliest expression of the new creation community of the enthroned Christ. It's His first work in this last epic, of the Spirit. And as such, they're meant to be a model for us. What they are, what they display, their devotion is supposed to have some kind of imperatival force with us. Be like this. Be about the things that the church infant was about before things got messy, which they quickly did. See with those who were still apostolical, who were nearest Christ's ascension, nearest Christ's enthronement. See what they did and then follow suit. Let's not doubt they gave themselves here to the very things that Jesus had just emphasized with His apostles upon His departure to heaven. And did so in the way that Jesus would have them do it. What we see in these verses is nothing less than what the Spirit in full agreement with God in Christ determined us to be at our finest. A missional people who are that by way of devotion to the means of grace and to very particular certain displays of grace. This kind of church is what Christ from all eternity purposed to create and now He has. That's the they. Let's speak briefly to the idea of devotion. The word itself, devotion, stands against the spiritual apathy and the lukewarmness in each one of our lives. It's directly contrary to so much of the spirit in our day that demands that we demand nothing of each other. It opposes so much in us that longs to be quote-unquote free to govern how we use our time and our energy and our affection. It draws a line in the sand opposite all of our golden calves, all of our idols. It says to these things you must be devoted, most else you can afford to lay aside as mission uncritical. And so it ideally keeps us from wasting ourselves on things to the side of a biblically sound church. So much illness in churches today comes from just this. We push the things of the Spirit to the margins and make the things that are more amenable to our flesh front and center in the life of a church. And so, beloved, this text is asking us to ask ourselves to what are we devoted? What is receiving the bulk of our affections? What is determining the use of our time? What is demanding our best and brightest energies? To what am I giving this one short life? Or in a related vein, do we even know what Christ means to make of us as a people? And how he's determined to make us precisely that? And what in my life is... Getting in the way. What if any unnecessary thing needs to be put away. That I might grow together with my church. In our devotion to Christ. And necessarily then to one another. And in that way to the great commission. Well let's come to it. Let's come to it. What we call the more. Formal means of grace. Luke gives four of these here to which they were corporately devoted. First thing he says, they were devoted to the apostles' what? Teaching. The apostles' teaching. That is, they gave themselves wholeheartedly to the whole counsel of God as exposited by the apostles in full view of the risen Christ. And in fact, Peter's sermon a little bit earlier in this very chapter, serves as an immediate specimen of what Luke is talking about. They opened the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures at this time, by the key of the gospel to establish and grow and train the church in the way of Jesus. As the Apostle Paul later magnifies in 2 Timothy and in other places, they devoted themselves to being taught and to being reproved and to being corrected and to being exhorted and to being equipped by the inerrant word, for godliness over against sin, steadfastness over against suffering, competency in order to every good work, solidarity as an edifice, a structure of divine truth, and in all of that, to hope in Christ, a hope in Christ that combats every heat-seeking, heart-wilting missile of the adversary. And so see, beloved, that the apostolic teaching of God's Word in the context of corporate worship, like this right here, that was their food, right? That was their drink. That was their gold and their silver and their breath and their life. It was not optional to them. It was absolutely essential. If they could be there, they were there because they rightly perceived why they were and what they were and what they needed and how Christ meant to chiefly comfort, grow, and supply them and that is by biblical teaching and sound doctrine. So, they weren't asking how much truth can we set aside. They were not asking, how little do we actually need to know? But how much can we? And how can we guard it as critical to our life and ministry as a people? They devoted themselves to the apostles. Teaching devoted. And that was the very backbone, the very soul of their Fellowship. Now this gets enlarged for us, this fellowship gets enlarged for us in the verses that follow, but suffice it to say here that they eschewed what is so common for many today, and that is this sort of isolationist, individualistic, privatized Christianity. In my opinion, they understood the import of the new birth, and really one of the greatest blessings of the gospel. Christ has made a new family just a new person but a new family and we're to be devoted to it you see in our text they could hardly be kept from one another it seems they not only knew the word of Christ but also the family of Christ to be existentially essential to faithful Christianity for their walk with Jesus they needed each other They had some deeply right apprehension of what it meant to be the body of Christ. So the question was never, how can I stay away from these people? (laughs) It was always, how can we gather today? In the matter of scheduling conflicts, this gathering right here was always the victor. We make room for things that are vital a medical matter dire appointment, a needed getaway. We clear the schedule for things like that and for them, that is this infant church, this gathering of the saints for their communal progress in Christ was chief of all. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to apostolic fellowship. And next you see to the breaking of bread. Now, I'm inclined to think what's meant is the Lord's Supper here. But at the very least, it's an extension of their familial impulse. Right? They were devoted to a shared table. And this is why we attempt, like we're right for service today, to organize things that we call like family feasts and family meals. Back in their day they called them love feasts. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with organizing these kinds of things. Uh, but I, I would have us think this right here in this text was, was more organic. A little more organic than organized. What's the difference you ask? I would just say DNA. That felt sense of family. It was obvious to them That they had to dine around the gospel together. And that this was their joy to do. And it should be for us. The question, of course, is always, is it? Is it? Beloved, we should not have to be ordered to do what we should love to do. And understand to be ordained by Jesus to our benefit. They got it, we should too, that fellowship around the Word and fellowship around the table of Christ actually does something. It actually accomplishes something. It's not just sterile habit. But the living Christ, the living, enthroned, ascended Christ uses it to grow us in the grace and knowledge of Him. And as that's all this church wanted, they were devoted to it. And also one final thing here. The prayers. Dear ones, uh, they were a praying people from the jump. The old saying, the family that prays together stays together applies not just to the nuclear family but to the family of Christ. Corporate prayer only helps the unity of Christ's community. And so they devoted themselves to being dependents, children of God. To asking and seeking and knocking upon the gracious throne of that enthroned Christ. And again, to doing this not just as individuals, but as a collective unit. And I just want us to hear. There is a reason, church, that your pastors so frequently exhort us in corporate prayer. Be there, right? The the, the prayer closet is good. Please be about private prayer. Christ loves the single voice. But here in the text we're seeing that that by itself is not sufficient. The early church gathered to pray. To seek the face of God and plead with Him In the name of Christ, for all their shared life and power and joy. Two chapters from now. Acts chapter 4. Two chapters from now, it's when the church has gathered to pray as one people that the whole place was shaken by the presence of the Holy Spirit who then made them all bold as lions, every single one of them, to preach the word of God in the face of every threat and every obstacle and every trial. God help us to be a church that's devoted to that kind of prayer. May it be our family language. Jenny gets on the phone for business. She talks very businesslike. My wife, Jenny, that's who Jenny is. If you didn't know that. She gets around her family and she talks totally different. Right? The southern accent comes out all beautifully thick and syrupy. And just so... We need to be a people who major on the language of Zion, our hometown. A people, again, who love to be and learn and eat and pray together. Church, are we devoted to these means of grace? To ask that is to ask, do these things define us? It's to ask to what degree is Christ formed within us? It's to ask how near we are to His method of building His church and how dear is it to us? It's to ask how real the gospel is to us. How much we really do trust our Lord and what He says in His Word. How deeply we desire to be used of Him for the vitality of the church and the saving of souls. Where are we? Do you see what comes on the heels of this devotion? Verse 43. What is it? Awe. Isn't that great? Awe came upon every soul. Can you imagine? And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So, beloved, their devotion was a declaration about the truth of the gospel, the verifiable truth of the gospel. You see, they had been promised wonders. They had been promised wonders upon the ascension of Christ. So, if there were not any wonders being done, or if what was being done was all a hoax, their devotion would have died quickly. And rightly so. But, the text tells us, that their devotion was yet alive and well. <laughs> Why? Because the things that were being done were really being done. And their devotion then acted to confirm the truth that Christ was on the throne. Do you see it? The church, whether or not we like it, the depth of our devotion to the means of grace in corporate worship, reveals the depth of our belief and understanding that Jesus Himself is alive and well above. So, what does a lack of devotion say? What does apathy or inconsistency in these things say to each other and to the world? Well, you... You needn't bother with all that. We little do. It's not as if the gospel is really true or that salvation is really a thing or that Christ is the risen king. No church. Let's have a devotion that declares the truth. He's on the throne. Now, where we do Where we devote ourselves to the formal means of grace, we will inevitably, second heading here, be devoted to familial displays of grace. So we're picking up now in verse 44. And it is important that we see the connection here, how it is a church devoted, very simply, to word and prayer and togetherness. That'll display a culture of grace that compels a graceless world to discover what is this Jesus all about. At the heart of a people displaying grace is a people devoted to the means of grace in this time together. This is not peripheral to real Christianity. It's not tangential to practical Christianity throughout the week. It's not an aside to missional Christianity out in the world. This is where it's at. This is the bench press. This is the training table. This is the moral support. If we thought differently about this, we need to change. That is again, if we want to show as well for Christ as this church did. Do you see their familial displays of grace? Luke says, all who believed, yes, Luke believed the church to be a body of believers, were together. We've already spoken to this, but there's no shame in re emphasizing so distinct a purpose of Christ's work, and that is our unity. They were together, they were unified. And here, that they were together says not only that they agreed, across so many differences, to love each other for Christ's sake, but also that they agreed to take up arms against anything that would threaten to separate or divide them. That's why, you remember Ananias and Sapphira? That's why that was so egregious. They acted for themselves against what had been the church's visible unity. That self-forgetful bond of peace in Jesus that we have. It is a sin against the purpose of God toward us and the Holy Spirit within us to stir up division in the body of Christ and to put His members at odds and to believe very little about the power of the cross. And the means that preach that cross. But there is little godlier than doing what it takes to hold the line and to love and to forgive and to stay and to commit to family. This church displayed the grace of togetherness. Rowing of you two over there. Rowing. No matter the waves, no matter the storm, no matter how difficult, rowing in the same direction. You see their unity was matched by their generosity. They had all things in common and were selling their possessions and belongings, verse 45, and it says they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now everybody, of course, is quick to say this was not some kind of evangelistic communism or something like that. They're quite right about it, uh, but we should major on what it does say in the passage. They counted nothing as their own. At playtime, uh, our kids' most common phrase is, that's mine. That's mine. And uh, <laughs> we adults are, I'd hope, a little better there, though perhaps only at hiding our true feelings. We are quick to take ownership of things that are meant as a stewardship. But this church had come to count nothing their own except, in a twist of words, each other. And what it amounted to was a freedom called self-sacrifice that loved to meet the needs of the body of Christ insofar as they could. And to be clear about it, We see here that their generosity did have a priority list, right? They did care for the relief of the poor in general, but that care aimed first at their poor. I like to think they understood Jesus correctly when in Matthew chapter 25, he taught his disciples that his true sheep care for the needs, and be careful here, the needs of his body. You remember they they say, his disciples say, Lord, When did we supply you with food and drink and clothing and comfort? And what does he say? As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. gotta be careful. My brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Now, if that does not encourage us to care after one another, with a luxury of generosity, I don't know what will. That when we do charity to this body, we're doing charity to Jesus. This church excelled in that grace. They were together, and together they embodied the charity of the cross towards one another. And then to piggyback off of that, we're told, verses 46 and 47 that they sought out each other by the day and welcomed one another into their homes and displayed to each other a continuum of rich and joyful hospitality what they experienced together listen what they experienced together at temple they continued together at home in their house their community was not sunday only Public worship bled into more private settings. Formal discipleship bled into more informal discipleship. What was enlarged and magnified on the Lord's Day gathering, they made a way to exercise from day to day is what it says. They didn't know what it meant to be cultural. Christians. They only knew the apostolical sort of Christianity which focused every heart upon the invite of the cross resulting in a church that was bent on prioritizing the sweet communion of saints. And before we go to the glorious effect of it on the world around them, do you see how happy they were? They sat at table, what does it say? With glad and generous hearts praising God. (laughs) Beloved, we of all people have the most reason to be most thankful and joyful. They're going to have their debates. Just keep on reading Acts. They're going to have their their councils and all these kinds of things. But they were at least initially defined by their Christianity. What do I mean? I mean, their odds and their ends never rose higher than their reverence for the reputation of the risen Christ in whom they were co-heirs of grace and glory. And indeed, dear ones, where He is our all in all, you and I will not be. And there will then be a worshipful unity, generosity, generosity, and hospitality, There will be familial displays of grace on the back of a devotion that in every way does one thing, give us Jesus. And can I tell you, as I thought on this this week, and I was just bigly encouraged. As I thought on you, I saw an, an urgency. I was, I was reminded by so many of you. just an urgency to continue to grow in the Word of Christ. I was reminded that you have a a fresh desire to give to this ministry. There was the making of of, of cookie comfort for exam week, right? Didn't that take place today? Okay. Right? There were folks who were coming together to move the Johnsons into their new home. I know many of you have a revolving door in your home. There's also been just an eagerness to serve by so many of you, even in little ways. But but even though they're little ways, they're relieving ways. And in all of that, all I see is Christ and His grace at work. And I just want to tell you how thankful I am to God for it and for each one of you. This kind of church is the compelling community of Christ. You see how the text closes? It says they were what? Having favor with all the people. (laughs) Not just a certain section of the people, all the people, and that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, the final push is that we'd be driven, we'd be driven to devotion. By its hopeful effect. The Lord's application of grace. If we were to ask, how might the world be most quickly converted to Christ? Would you answer by a church's focus on her own health? I wonder it is no coincidence that as they devoted themselves to the means and displays of grace, listen, day by day, that the Lord then saved souls and added to their number day by day. You see? When we think of missions with extraordinary results, do we think first Of a biblically ordinary church. Because that seems to be Christ's grand missions strategy. Certainly, churches can be so insulated, they have no heavenly oxygen to give to the lost. But they can also be so self-neglectful, the only air they breathe they share in common with the world, which makes the saving breath of Christ a stranger. To everybody. But what we see here is that a church rightly devoted to grace will be so full of it that they supernaturally spill over onto outsiders. So here's how I think about it we're not to be an exclusive club, we are to be an extended arm of the Lord. But in being that, we have to decide, church, whether we're going to be a weak arm or a strong one. Beloved, a church can be just as true as another, and yet not as healthy, not as strong, not as biblically compelling as another. Now, the Lord knows, the Lord does know, praise His name how to work around us. But why need Him do that when He could and desires to work directly through us? To me, and I think to this text, and to His glory and the good of souls, this really matters. This really matters. Who wants to be adopted into a contentious family full of dysfunction and very light on Christ? Unfortunately, a lot of people. But now, who would want to be adopted into a family devoted to a fellowship that is given to word and prayer and table and gospel charity? One where Christ is richly present and very palpable. In truth, I can't say for certain. But I will say, it ought to be more genuinely compelling to sincere inquirers and more distinctly challenging for admitted antagonists to ignore that kind of community, that kind of family. And so if we see a variety of people saved, and that in multiples, maybe, God willing, even day by day, do we not have it in our text that Christ will see to it where we see to being the strongest arm of His that we can be? How could He not? He'd have to deny himself to deny this kind of harvest from a church that's devoted to gathering and learning and praying and loving and praising and all the while interacting as one body with the many unbelieving souls around us. I've seen souls converted by the mighty impression of just such a church. It's as if they come face to face with Jesus. And they do. As we're devoted to the things that form Christ in us. It should make sense that as he is formed within us, we will be like him. And he can never be blamed for keeping to himself. See, even here, it's not we but he who saves, right? The Lord added. It's he who saves and builds his church. What's been laid out is not some kind of equation for evangelistic fruitfulness. But perhaps it is for faithfulness and maybe even expectancy. As we plant and water a phrase that comes right out of 1 Corinthians 3 and right after that phrase comes be a healthy church! <laughs> be strong as you can be! As we plant in water, Jesus is the one who is still on the throne and giving the growth. Friend, verse 47 teaches us that to the best we can know, there's no member here who has not been saved. Every one of us, though it wasn't always so, have now believed the gospel. We've turned from our sins. We've trusted in this crucified and risen Jesus. And he has graciously received each one of us as his own. And that is all our heart for you this morning. It's that you will now receive his grace. And you'll be reconciled to God. And you'll receive that share in his forever family. If you want to talk more about that, please come and find me after service. I would love to have that conversation with you. Now, beloved, how can we hear these things and not ramp up our devotion? A week ago, we saw that where the king increases with us, so too will rest. Today, we've seen that where he increases us with us, so too will devotion. We'll make space for it. And so this Advent, let's learn to ask ourselves, can we say, Can we say of ourselves what Luke says of this first church? That we are devoted. Christ came into the world that we would be. And he lives that we would live to be. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. May it do its good and gracious work in our hearts please do make us increasingly devoted to you, to the means of grace, to showing grace to one another, and to giving grace to those who are lost. And would you, for your own glory, build yourself a church that is mighty for the sake of your name, and also compelling for those who are outside. Bring them in. Day by day, bring them in.